We thank you and we give you this moment in our service today. We give you the space to speak. And for those of us who this is our learning style, the opportunity to hear. Lord, we give you this moment in your name we pray. Amen. Over the last number of months, we've been looking at this theme of connecting, of getting connected, of what we receive through that connection. We've looked at the idea of connecting to God, what that looks like in our relationship with our Father, to understand Him as creator, as provider, as sustainer. We've looked at this concept of connecting to the Word, of the person of Jesus Christ, who is the embodiment of that Word that was in creation, that is in the written Word, and how that is useful for all aspects of our lives in teaching and shaping and guiding and leading us within our behaviors and attitude, and how once again we are blessed enough in this 21st century world to be able to have a document that is complete, that is accurate, and that remains true to this day in terms of what the Lord is doing. And now we've started to shift into this aspect of looking at the Holy Spirit and how we as humanity experience God speaking and moving through another form of His expression. And as I think about the Holy Spirit, I am constantly humbled by the fact that the work of the Holy Spirit was something that was planned and prophesied about hundreds of years before it actually came. In fact, as we look through the Old Testament, we find a number of different passages that give hints and glimpses into the fact that the Lord is going to be working in a different way. Which, if you think about it, is a very interesting reality because the Holy Spirit in God's work is a second step in His redemption process. First, He sent His Son Jesus to live amongst us, to work, to live that perfect life, to die for our sins, and through His death and resurrection, thus then the Holy Spirit comes. And when you think about the fact that as we read the Old Testament, we catch glimpses into the fact that they're talking about the Holy Spirit, imagine how disconnected of a concept that would have been for the people in that age, 600 years before the birth of Jesus, to think that we will receive something, but we can't even wrap our minds around what the redemptive work that Jesus will be. And this is how God works. He leaves us clues. He gives us hints to the plans that he has long before we are smart enough to figure them out or to grasp the depth of what he means. And so in Joel chapter 2, a prophecy is given, a promise of things that will be to come, and it speaks to the shift in how God has started and will continue to speak. It says in Joel chapter 2, it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And these two verses give us something amazing, something of a promise and commitment from the Lord of what he will seek to do. In this foretelling, in this great hint of the fact that God is going to work in and amongst people, amongst mankind, there is only two simple and basic principles that are needed for anyone to receive this pouring out of the Spirit. That the Spirit will be given freely and without restriction to those who simply repent of the lifestyle of putting themselves first, which, let's be honest, that's at the core of sinning itself. 
It's to decide that what I think is more important than what God has decided or what I want is more important than the needs of those around me. Every single sin can be lumped into one of those two assumptions. And this desire to push away from a need of me first and to center back to where we should be living in the idea of God's heart and God's needs and God's commands first. To be pushing away of that lifestyle and to believe in the fact that God has this plan for us, that he sent his son Jesus to be in and amongst us. And if those two very simple, very basic commitments are made, that then we receive the outcome. We receive the blessing. We receive the pouring and perfect gift that comes from that. And that's a new way in which the community the body of believers will see and hear what God is trying to tell them. It says in this passage that prophecies, that there will be these foretellings of what God will do. That as a body that we will be able to see and we will be able to plan ahead and we will be able to recognize what God is doing in and amongst our community. In the lives of individual people, in the work that we do as a body that we will receive visions and dreams. And I remember speaking on this maybe a year or two ago, that this is a language that most of us in our traditional evangelical uh, context, we get a little uncomfortable with this aspect uh, of seeing, uh, of hearing from God in dreams and visions. But we are probably actually one of the most visual nations in the entire globe. Like, you think about how, how movies are developed, how advertisements work. We are a very visual learning society. So why wouldn't God seek to speak to us in those ways? To be hinting and speaking to us in the way in which we're designed, the ways in which we hear best from God. And that these will come in dreams, waking dreams of aspirations and hopes and ideas of what might come, but they will also come for us in dreams that we have at night. And I believe that this is still a gift that God is working through his body in. There's actually a few in the pews, and I'm not going to name names, who have actually seen work through prophetic dreams and work and hear what God is telling them and being able to connect something that they saw into what it was that God was actually speaking to them. And that these are not just gifts that are meant for a moment. These are not just pouring of the Spirit and the outcome that will happen in the 15 minutes after. This is a promise of how the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And that this is just the beginning. Now once again, we're looking in the book of Joel, which theologians guess is probably in between 500-600 B.C. So this concept that there will be this outpouring of the Spirit is something that is a promise of a future that has not yet happened yet. But for the community there, for the people of that day and age, it would have made sense because their language, their world, how God worked in that society was often in those same ways. The idea of prophet is probably more Old Testament than New Testament in our assumptions. When we think of dreams, we think of uh, Daniel, we think of Nebuchadnezzar, we think of all of these Old Testament figures. In fact, we probably have more accounts of God speaking in dreams through the Old Testament than we actually do the New Testament. But what's interesting is the fact that through the, of the pouring of the Holy Spirit, these will not simply be gifts that just some experience 
and not others. And we'll get to that a little bit later, but as we look and as this concept of Holy Spirit uh, is titled in the New Testament, this concept of an advocate, of someone who will be there on our behalf, someone who will be there in the relationship in and alongside us to help guide, to help counsel, to help coach, to help develop, but not something that is in between us and God. And as we look at this concept, in this passage, they are giving a hint to the fact that the Holy Spirit will change the entire human dynamic of relationship between humanity and God. This whole structure is going to start to change in how people experience God on a community standard, on an individual standard. And for us, it's really easy to say, oh yeah, obviously, yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically how we have known God corporately as a church our entire lives, that God speaks to each one of us. But for an Old Testament model, this is a radical transformation and a radical shift of the way in which they experience God as a community. Because back in the Old Testament, they were still under a structured religious process where the priests did most of the heavy lifting on behalf of the nation to work on that relationship with the Lord. I remember being in a course a couple years ago and the uh, professor asked, um, who here is an ordained pastor? And I put my hand up and I was the only one in the room and he looked at me and he said, describe to me the five stages of the Old Testament sacrificial system. And I was like, duh. And he's like, well, I wouldn't have ordained you if you were on my council. And I'm like, oh, that hurt. And I named a couple of them and whatnot. But he, he really drew this important understanding that for the Old Testament, this concept of the sacrificial system was their experience individually of God. That this aspect of this sacrifice of a reparation of making payment for the sin that had been committed to the brother in, or sister in Christ. The purification part of the uh, system of actually separating yourself individually from the sin that you made to cleanse yourself emotionally, spiritually, and sometimes even physically from the sin itself. There was the burnt aspect of the offering, which was after a calf was slaughtered, the whole, once again, blood sacrificial system, meaning something for us today um, that hadn't yet come to the full fruition in the Old Testament, but having that burnt and dedicated that tithe over to God. Then there was the grain offering, which was given for the temple and for the operation of the temple and the actual programs that they ran in terms of feeding and whatnot. And finally, the peace offering, which was the aspect that once these four aspects had been done, you gathered together as a community and you sacrificed and celebrated and consumed that together. Talk about a public way to deal with sin each and every time. And it was the whole priesthood that facilitated this process to help people come from a place of separation from God back to an, a place where their re relationship has been restored with God. So when they, we speak of this pouring out of the Holy Spirit, of this gift of an advocate, we have to recognize that that is replacing an entire portion of how they understand to connect to God. It is removing an entire structure 
that has been in place for generations upon centuries of how the community has learned to engage God from a place of sinfulness to seek being brought closer and having that healed. And once again, this passage speaks to an event that happens after the work of Jesus, but it makes sense because what is the outcome of these events? Dreams, prophesying, actually hearing from God, which they're getting a glimpse that through the work of the Holy Spirit, this will not be something that is done on our behalf, but this will be something that happens directly between us as individuals and God Himself. Talk about a drastic shift even more so than not having to call travel agencies to book your own plane tickets. We're talking about a revolution for the society of how they experience God on a daily and in their own hearts kind of way. That the Holy Spirit has taken away the position of any mediation required, of any authority figure to be between God and himself. Over this past week as I've been driving, I've been hearing a lot of this one ad on the radio. And it talks about this huge mega corporation who's opening a new branch in Bolton or Milton or one of the tons from that end of, uh, end of Ontario. And how we are opening a brand new facility with equal opportunity hiring for everyone, with starting wages at 1950 and benefits from day one. No interview required, no previous experience required. Just call and become part of the team today. And I'm sitting there going, man, I wish they had that when I was looking for a job in like college and whatnot. And this opportunity, this employer is basically promoting themselves as an equal opportunity employer that it doesn't matter where you've come from, it doesn't matter what your experience, they are placing a basic bar to accept people into their business culture, into their employment relationship. And it sounds pretty good, pretty open, pretty unrestrictive. And isn't that exactly, in a spiritual sense, what the Holy Spirit is working to do in our lives? To take away the requirements of age, experience, accomplishments through the Old Testament sacrifice of what you do to make yourself right with God. And that if you repent and believe, you're in. If you believe in your heart and confess with the Lord, your mouth that the Lord Jesus has saved, that, or Lord Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. There's a really famous uh, um, rapper in uh, the world right now named Kanye West who has uh, for decades sang about prostitutes, hookers, strip clubs, drugs, alcohol, and so forth and so forth. And over the last couple months, he has come out professing that uh, he is a born-again Christian. He actually released an entire new album, which is nothing but gospel music, and where in earlier stuff, his music had the parental advisory warning, and every X number of words was a swear word. There is not a single use of any profanity, and the title of this album is Jesus is King. From a man who went from saying, I am God 
to declaring that Jesus is king. This is the type of transformative work. The American Bible Society has reported that they've received a huge spike in their requests for numbers from millennials and teens who are trying to figure out who this God is that Kanye West is talking about. And our hope, once again, is that this is a genuine experience, that this is something that he has been led, and everything that I've seen, interviews and whatnot, it's, it's a Saul to Paul story that's going on here. And I think as a community, this is, this is one of the ways that we can see the Holy Spirit is doing his work in someone's life who was outside the body. And so as a church, I think we should pray for Kanye that uh, this is the first step of a continued growth of a relationship, that this isn't something that uh, he loses his zeal and excitement and passion for because he is changing the world around him right now through having experienced these dreams and these visions and this pouring of the Spirit that's being talked about. And the reality is that these blessings are something for each and every one of us to experience personally. There's no requirement of a high priest, that there's no difference between us as individuals in terms of ethnicity, race, nationality, bank account numbers, how many years we've done it. There's neither, as the Bible says, no slave, no masters, no Jew nor Gentile, nor male nor female, because that is the work that the Holy Spirit is doing. Equal opportunity partnership with God for the work that He has built. And so for us today, as we sit and rest in this idea of the Holy Spirit, as we try to rediscover something new about, some, about an aspect of God that for some of us we have known our whole life, we ask ourselves, what is this Holy Spirit doing in our hearts that can help us continue to transform the world around us? And I think the first is we need to take on a daily and routine and regular practice of getting a stronger sense of our identity. To know that we have been made in God's image. And that's unique amongst all His creation because we have the ability to know and understand who He is. Cats and dogs have personalities, but they don't hear from the Lord that we have been made in His image and in all of these different aspects in terms of His character and His personality. And how as men and women, we reflect different sides of the same heart of God. That we need to know who we are, that our value is found in the fact that God loves us, not how successful we are in what we contribute. Because it's not us who make ourselves great. It's not how much we sacrifice. That's the Old Testament model that God has replaced for us. That we need to earnestly, in an aspect of repentance, seek and chase and yearn for. Because it's the heart that God is looking for from us. Not how many hours we spend locked away in a room with our Bibles. Not how many Days a week we head to different programs at church. It's about a faithfulness in attitude in how we understand that God is seeking to use us. And most importantly, we need to know that the Spirit is working to do something in our hearts. 
Scripture throughout the whole thing is just nothing but stories of God equipping people to do things that were beyond their capacity at many different ages of life, many different stages of community. And after such drastic, for some figures, lifestyle before the moment that they met God. We need to understand individually how we were designed, and that takes effort and energy to do individually, and as well as a part of a community. We know tall people may be better at volleyball or basketball, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are. They might be better at creative writing or curling or cricket or golf. We need to learn how God has wired us as individuals, what those natural strengths and giftings that we have that are unique to our passions, because if it's a passion, God probably put it there to begin with, and how we think and feel in terms of our personality style, in terms of our leadership, whether we're introverted or extroverted, how much we are comfortable with public speaking or private speaking, whether we're better in communication, written or verbal, we got to figure these things out so that God can work through the Holy Spirit to speak to us in a way that we hear best, but then that also leads us to a position of operating out of the depth of the capacity that we have. And for some of us in some situations, that will be for us to recognize when it's time for us to get out of the way of somebody else. This past Friday night, we were at a youth service at Cornerstone, our church and a number of other churches, and there was 150 students there. And one of the other pastors came up to me and said, Sam, you are going to be doing and facilitating the prayer time, or how we're going to divide it up, and you're going to lead that. And I looked at him and I said, no, Matt's going to do it. And Matt was like, who, what now? And I was like, Matt is going to do it. So I sat down and I walked Matt through. I'm like, this is how it could be done. This is how I might do it. But do it how you feel led to do it. And Matt got up and facilitated that prayer time for 150 high school students. Because it's important for us to remember that we can't build systems that are based off us individually. Which is why Dory and I don't play music every single week. Because if we did and one of us got hit by a car and died, the entire system would fall apart. We need to recognize that we need to make space for our brothers and sisters in Christ to use the gifts that God is putting in them, which will be different than our own, and sometimes that's an uncomfortable place to be, to let somebody else do something different than the way that you would want to do it yourself. And I know that if that is the way in which we approach what God is asking us to do, our community will be blessed as we are giving space to one another. We are, as a church, a slow-moving church. It takes us time sometimes to get where we want to go. And sometimes I think as a church we've been paralyzed by this subconscious wish list of things that we'd like to have in place before we get to the work that God has prepared for us. Whether it's enough volunteers, whether it's a person with a certain skill set, whether it's a certain set number of resources before we can dive in. But I think at some point we have to stop leaning on our own framework of what we need to be able to do and recognize so often God does so much more with so much less. 
And scripture is full of stories like that of people who have been led beyond their capacities, beyond their abilities to do life and world changing things and using resources that were tiny and minute and unimpactful and multiplying them to change the lives and to change the attitudes and sometimes to change the whole emotional feeling of a room. Even our aspect of communion, of using juice and gluten-free wafers. We're using something to point towards something bigger that God is doing. And for us as a church, we just really need to recognize to give space to the Holy Spirit to lead this process for us, for us individually and for us corporately. And if we learn to do that, even in small and faithful steps moving forward, we will see transformation through this community, which may not be numbers. It may not be more people sitting in these pews next week, but it will be hearts that are changed and lives that are transformed, and that's what God cares about. Did you know 98% of the churches in Canada are below 150 people? So we see these mega churches that have thousands coming up every week, and we assume that that is the picture of success. We assume that big production, big facility, big numbers is exactly what God is doing, but what God is looking for is depth and willingness of people to hear, to listen, and to just say, okay, what would you have me here today? Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for this gift you've given us. We thank you that we have had a service that we have celebrated so many different things. We've celebrated commitment to the body. We have celebrated the redemptive work you have done. We have celebrated the fact that we have this freedom and that it has been given to us off the backs of the generations behind us. So God, I pray through this next day, through this next week, through the next month and year, through our board meetings, through our elders meetings, through the meetings for the ushers and greeters, for our children's ministries, for our seniors' ministries, for our women's ministries, continue to speak to us through these dreams, through these visions that you give freely to all people who believe in you. Because God, it's those dreams and visions that will be leading us into the future. And God, this begins for each and every one of us with a willingness in our hearts to listen. So above all else, Lord, above all anything else I or we could ask for this morning, we ask that you teach us to listen and that we can make space for you. In your name we pray. Amen. As you go forward this week, may once again you find those opportunities that God is speaking and just give Him the freedom to lead you in somewhere new. Amen.